Joshua chapter 7, we are in the fourth uh, sermon on, in a five-sermon series on going forward by faith, right? I think we all want to go forward, but it's not always easy, is it? And whenever we take steps forward in uh, following God, there's always obstacles, right, that are daunting. There's always things that go wrong, and our own hearts are, are weak and scared, if we're honest. Uh, and so Joshua really encouraged us, be strong and courageous, follow the Lord, you say, uh, you say, when should I be strong and courageous? Right now. You say, but the world's a mess. It is. <laughs> but my situation's kind of all over the place. All of us are, right? The, the person that you see in this room and you think they have all their ducks in a row, you just don't know their ducks. <laughs> I mean, all of us have our stuff. Um, my, my son had to be taken out for some reason with my wife right in the middle of service, and then he made a barge right back through the, this aisle. Some of you saw him pass at warp speed. He dove into my back leg on his way back into the chair and then uh, sang with all his might. And he's one of our ducks, and uh, sometimes it feels like he's in order, and sometimes it feels like I don't know where he's flying. Uh, so we are all struggling through this life, um, but God wants us to do so not in fear, not in discouragement. Fear is what could happen in the future, Discouragement is what's already happened to me in the past. And a lot of us kind of have our lives parked because of one of those two things. And God wants us to go forward by faith. And the whole book of Joshua is about that. I wonder if you've ever asked this question. What could possibly go wrong? Have you ever asked that question? I have. Uh, it's usually when I decide that I can drive to a certain destination without directions Ah, what could go wrong? I, I know where we're going. We have north, south, east, and west. Our streets are numbered. How could this go wrong? When we first moved to town, we lived in Sandy on uh, 90th east and, and uh, 7th south. And, uh, or 90th south and 7th east. See, that's why I have a problem. And, um, <laughs> and uh, I, the first day I drove to school, where I was working at the time, along with pastoring here, um, I drove down 7th East, and what I didn't realize is that in that part of the city, 7th East turns into 9th East, but no one tells you that. There's no, there's no blaring sign that says, now on 9th East, right? Our streets do that sometimes, and uh, so I drove to school. I drove up to Fort Union and cut over towards Cottonwood Heights where the school was. I, I was there all day working. I got back in the car driving back, and I thought, all I've got to do is look for 7th East, and I'll get home. What could possibly go wrong? So I drove down Fort Union, and I turned left or turned south on uh, 7th East. Hmm. I should have turned on 9th East, but I didn't know that. So I turned on 7th East. I drove about half a mile, and it dead-ended. <laughs> and I was like, this city hates me. <laughs> right? <laughs> so I came back up. I, I think I put it in my phone at that point, and I humbled myself, went down 9th East, and got home. Sometimes, sometimes uh, we say this when we're like cooking or baking without a recipe. What could possibly go wrong, right? Or, or as men, like Christmas Eve when we're assembling something without instructions. I can put this together. What could possibly go wrong? Well, here's the thing, a few things that could possibly go wrong, right? Uh, apparently, this is a pretty common way of transporting eggs in parts of the world. I feel like this could go really wrong on a lot of levels, right? Whenever you got two guys uh, trusting each other, that's always dangerous. And uh, you put, I don't know how many, probably, you know, 15 or 20 dozen eggs there in between them. What could possibly go wrong? Here's one. Uh, you just mowed your lawn and sent your white dog out. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> right? That's what could go wrong. Uh, how about this? You dumped your hot charcoal in your trash can. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> right? 
Here's one. What if I just feed one of the monkeys? What could possibly go wrong, right? That just turned from like fun into a nightmare, right? Alfred Hitchcock just made a movie right there, the, the monkeys. You hid your kids' uh, game controllers in the oven. What could possibly go wrong? We did this with uh, some of Tim's little plastic tools once and uh, turned the oven on and they, they kind of bent a little bit. Just what could possibly go wrong? You didn't strap the boat down. What could possibly go wrong? That one's a real bad one on a lot of levels. And these are my two favorite right here at the end. What could possibly go wrong? Uh, you put the bag of uh, yeasted dough in the dumpster. Bakery got a surprise when they showed up the next morning. What could possibly go wrong? And this is my favorite of the list for today. Guess who will never throw an unsecured bottle of Parmesan cheese into their laptop bag ever again? That's going to be fun. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? You know, there's a reason as we come to this spot in Joshua that the people of Israel are filled with confidence. They had seen God part the Jordan River. I mean, if you had seen God do that and walked across on dry land, you, you'd be filled with confidence, wouldn't you? Not only that, they had seen, this is not Jericho, this is just a picture, okay? They, they had seen the walls of Jericho at God's word collapse in on themselves. And God had given them incredible victory. And they must have been filled with confidence in him. But there's a danger when we've experienced success in life, we can start thinking we don't need help. In a strange way, after God has led and helped us, we can begin to think that we actually no longer need the one who got us there in the first place. Proverbs 16, 18, a verse my mom used to quote to me often. Pride goes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. The message version says it this way. First pride then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. Last week we saw God give his people an incredible victory at Jericho. And this week in Joshua 7, we see them experience a shocking defeat at Ai. We actually see faith in trouble. Read with me in Joshua chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near beth east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up. But let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. We know at this point the people of Israel have 600,000 men who could uh, be leveraged into a situation like this. And they're like, just a couple thousand will do it. Do not make the whole people uh, toil up there, for they are few. The people of Ai are few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men. And chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water.
Let's pray together. God, would you guide us through your word this morning? Would it cut to our hearts? For, for we confess that we are very much like the people we read about here. We are prone to the same sin and the same self-confidence that they were. Would you convict us? Would you challenge us? Would you refocus us and help us to put our trust and reliance in you every day? Not just for the rescue of our souls, the forgiveness of our sins, but for following you by faith every day. Please let this word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We see a few things in this chapter. The first is the recipe for disaster. Verses 1 through 5 show us this, that God sends disaster when we live in hidden sin and self-confidence. We're headed for disaster when we participate in direct sin and then cover it up. Did you see that in verse 1? Achan, the Bible tells us, took what God had told him not to take. Look over at chapter 6, verse 17. Right on that page, just across. These are God's commands to the people as they destroy Jericho. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab would be rescued. Verse 18, but you, God's command, keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction. Lest when you have devoted them... You take any of the things devoted and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all the silver and the gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. Has God been clear? Don't take anything. As God would say from his perspective, it's all mine. And if you take anything, there will be bad consequences you will be in trouble. We say that to children, don't we? Here's the instruction. If you don't follow it, you will be in trouble. God says the same thing essentially to us, right? We, we have 10 commandments from God. They're very simple. They're very straightforward. And yet if we're honest, we are really prone to worship other things instead of God. We make our own idols. We don't really carve them and set them up on the shelf but, but we make family an idol. We make, we make our hobbies an idol. We make sports an idol. We make our career an idol. We make the acquisition of money an idol. We make our own success. An, we make our own idols and don't worship God. We use God's name lightly. Maybe, it, maybe it's not in a profane way. Maybe some, some of you do. But, but we just kind of throw God's name around. God says, take me seriously. We don't rest and worship like we ought to. Can I just tell you as Americans, we are terrible resters. We're really, really bad at it. We think God gave us seven days and 24 hours in a day, and we should get 20 hours worth of whatever we can get out of every single day. And we don't rest. We're not even really that great at worship. We, we so easily blow it off and so easily put other things in place of God. We struggle with obeying our authorities. It's not just children that struggle obeying their authorities. Adults do too. Just turn on social media. Just think about how hard it is for us to obey an employer at work and follow their direction, to follow political leaders and governors and, and presidents that we don't agree with. We struggle. Do we tell the truth all the time? Do we steal? Do we covet? We may not murder, but man, there are some people we really, 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 really don't like. You say, I haven't ever committed adultery. Well, what's gone on in your heart? I know my heart. So, so before we get on Aiken's case, like, how could he do that? 
It's a sobering reminder to us that we are prone to sin and cover it up. It's been happening with human beings since the Garden of Eden, right? I mean, I just went through the Ten Commandments. The Bible's full of directions from God. God only gave Adam and Eve one, and it didn't take them very long to listen to temptation and to sin. God sends disaster. He gets in our way when we take his direct commands and do our own thing. It's interesting here, if you look at chapter 7, verse 1, but the people of Israel broke faith. You know what that phrase is? The people of Israel, it's a, it's a, it's a uh, repeated statement. The people of Israel sinned to sin. You know why the Old Testament repeats things for us? Because they're really serious. It's, it's the way that they do emphasis. Like some of you use exclamation points in everything you do, right? You bold, and, like I do, bold, underline, italicize. That's how God does it in the Bible. They sinned a sin. It was serious. They did exactly what God had told them to do. And I just want to caution us or warn us this morning that there is a possibility because you have to understand that following God and, and knowing his word is like walking on a cliff. The, the, the truth about who God is, there's, you can fall off either side of it. So there is a danger for us in the day and age we live in that our confidence in God can lead us to a carelessness about sin. That our enjoyment of God's grace can lead us to becoming relaxed about our sin. It's like Samson. He keeps, he keeps telling secrets until he finally tells the truth and it falls apart. It's like the people in Romans where Paul said, this is how amazing grace is. And they went, man, isn't grace amazing? So we can just sin? And Paul goes, God forbid. No, no, no. Sin is serious. And we can't read our Bibles and miss that point, can we? And by the way, it's not just an Old Testament thing. If you read the book of Acts, there's two people who lie about how much they sold a piece of property for, and they come and they give it to God, and, and Peter says to them, is this, is this what you sold the land for? And they say, absolutely, yes it is. They sinned, and then they lied about it. They sinned, and then they covered it up. And what did God do? He took their lives. Sin is serious. It's not something to be taken lightly. But there's something else that's happening in these verses, and, and I don't know if you see it or not, but look at verse 2. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bethaven, east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. They spy out the land. They return. We only need two or 3,000 people to go up and attack the city. Don't make everybody go up there. We're headed for disaster when we lean on our own wisdom and strength. We read Proverbs chapter 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. James 4 says that we're foolish to make our plans and just think they're going to work out and leave God out of them. You know who's noticeably absent from this planning trip? God is. They haven't sought God to say, okay, one city down, what do you want us to do next? That, that plan at Jericho worked awesome. What's your plan for us here? Instead, they go, we got this. Do you know this is at the heart of our rebellion against God is that as human beings, we so often say, I'll go my own way. That's sin. I don't care what God said. I'll do what I want. And we, and we so often say, I've got this myself. I can handle this. I've been through it before. We can do this. Don't send everybody up. It's all under control. 
They're comfortable with their own wisdom. We know what to do here. By the way, this happens again in Joshua chapter 9. You can read that story later if you want. But they're not just comfortable with their own wisdom. They're comfortable with their own strength. We've got this. Isaiah 40 reminds us, even the young lions faint and grow weary. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. We read Psalm 20. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord. Can I ask you, who are you trusting this morning? I mean, mean, my hope is that you've put your trust in Jesus to save you from your sin and forgive you, but, but when you woke up this morning, who were you trusting? Who were you relying on? Man, we, I got a lot of life experience. Some of you got a lot of life experience in this room today. I can tell. You got a lot of life experience. We can figure it out. Some of you have plenty of resources. We can handle this. And we, and we don't get up in the morning and go, God, what, what are your plans for my day? I want to lean on you. I want to rely on you for whatever's in front of me today. Today's an exciting day. It's the launch service for Gospel Peace Church up in Logan. And for those of you who don't know, we're part of a little family of churches. Nothing big and, you know, it's not like this big, you know, controlling sort of thing. It's just a group of churches that want to work together. And we confuse people sometimes because they're like, are you Gospel Grace? I'm like, no, Gospel Grace is up by Liberty Park. We're way further south. We're down in Riverton. We're Gospel Hope. And then out of Gospel Grace, where they've been praying for a few years now, God uh, sent a team, brought a team together, and sent a team up to Logan. So today is their first service. It's huge. It's a big deal. It's, it's, a, it's a thing to celebrate as God builds his church in this valley. By the way, we need churches everywhere in this valley, right? If someone tells you, man, it's just another church in this valley, say, that's amazing, great. Pray that God will use it in great ways. God, God, God started this place 30 years ago, right? Marty's right up here. Lloyd's in the back. Hey, Lloyd. And through the faithfulness of their family and God's grace, his work, he built this. And, and so even that established 2018, it's really what, like 1990, 1991, right? And, and we, we kind of came in and jumped alongside and, and to try and take some next steps in 2018. Um, but, but God's actually doing something really cool. But, but can I just tell you something? I hope we never get to the place where we go, we got this. We got, a, we got a family of churches. We got a good plan. We, got, we got, some, got things lined up so that we can develop new leaders and go plant other churches. And we got the formula all figured out. And, and, and it'll just work. I hope we never get there. I, I hope we get excited every summer when plant campers come in and, and we reach out into this community and, and, and we get to be in part of town days and meet new people. And we, get, we just get to go. But, but I hope we're always doing it on our knees. That God is the one who's in charge, that it's his work that we're following, and that if he wants to close the doors of gospel hope or gospel grace or gospel peace, if he wants to stop something and move it over here, that we're like, it's okay, it's your stuff. It's your work. It's your kingdom. It's your church. We rely on. The story goes on, because even though disaster may look sudden to us, God knows the whole story. Look at verse 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, he and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, listen to what Joshua says here. Why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we have been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. We should have just stayed on the other side of the river. 
Oh, Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off your name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? God, why did you do this to us? We see the stunned response of God's leader. Why, God? Why did this happen? And God stops him. Look at verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, he says this twice in these verses, the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. There are two what-ifs that I wonder about this, these verses. The first is this. What would have happened if Joshua and the other leaders had actually reached out to God before they came up with their own plan? Like, what if they had gotten on their knees and said, God, how do you want us to approach this next city? Would God have stopped them and said, well, before you do that, there's something that needs to be dealt with? Or... What if Achan had been convicted of his sin? Because I have no doubt that Achan laying in his tent at night with the stolen things buried underneath it had some thoughts on his pillow. What if Achan had said, this is wrong and I need to come forward and I need to get this out of my tent and let God deal with it? What would have happened? But here's the thing. Neither of those things happened. And so the community suffered. I want you to hear something because we live in a very individualistic society. One that basically says, I'm responsible for my own life. I control my own future. And what I do, it doesn't matter to you. Can I just scream to you from the rooftops? It matters. There, there's a community connection in this story. I mean, if you look back at the first few verses, when God says there's been sin, he says, Israel has sinned. And he was angry with the entire group. There was accountability to be had collectively. It's why Hebrews tells us that we should warn one another day by day, lest any of us get hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We have a community of people. We're going to have three people who want to become a part of the Gospel Hope Church family. They want to join today. You know what? We have a responsibility to them. And they have a responsibility to us. We're in this together. Romans says nobody lives unto themselves and nobody dies unto themselves. If we think what we do in the dead of night behind closed doors doesn't matter to everyone else, it's just not true. And God knew the whole story, didn't he? The first thing he says is woe. <laughs> not, like, not like woe in a negative sense, but like hold up. It's interesting that he doesn't really have time for Joshua's fit, as it were. He says, get up. You and I need to talk. And then God says why, right? God stops us in our tracks. Then he explains the true cause of the disaster. Listen, we ought to be people who bring our grief and pain to God. When you're in pain, I know many of you, I was just talking to someone this morning who deals with chronic physical pain. When you're in pain, bring it to God. Bring your grief to God. When you're hurting, when things are bad, when things aren't working out, come to God. The Psalms are full of that heart of like, God, this hurts bad and this is rough. Go to God. But we ought to be very careful about bringing our accusations at God. 
God, why did you do this to me? God, why did you let this happen? God, I'm, I'm angry at you. Job did that. You know what God said? Come give me an account. Turn to Job 40. I want to show you this real quick. Turn to Job 40. The Lord begins to answer Job in his distress in chapter 38. But listen to what he says to Job in Job chapter 40. Because I'm sure some of us are in the same place as Joshua. Bad things have happened in our life for some reason, and we're actually really upset at God. God says to Job in Job chapter 40 verse 1, And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Job kind of checks himself a little bit here. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. He pauses. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? The problem in Israel is not that God made a mistake. The problem is that his people pursued a path of sin and self-confidence. So if you go back to Joshua chapter 7, God reveals the whole story and then he says what Joshua and the people of Israel need to do next. Verse 13, Joshua chapter 7, verse 13. Get up, he said. Consecrate the people and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus says the Lord God of Israel. There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes. And the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clans that the Lord takes shall come near by households. And the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, look at this, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. This is something we wrestle with, but I, I just want us to be really, really clear here. God as the creator of all of us and the God who loved us enough to send his only son to die for us and save us and rescue us from our sin, he gets to make the rules and he gets to decide the consequences. Sometimes my son wants to negotiate his consequences. You ever been in those negotiations, parents? <laughs> Can I just get two instead of three? <laughs> Can I just get a time out? we figured out something that works really effectively with our son. And that is that he becomes very attached to trinkets. And I don't get it at all. But he loves, like, like McDonald's toys are, they're incredible. I mean, they're, they're, in his mind, they're worth like hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. And he can't bear the thought of losing the last little toy that he got from McDonald's. But we figured out that a number of our other punishments are ineffective. We've also figured out that just putting it on top of the fridge for a couple hours doesn't necessarily do the trick either. So we throw it away. And that works. Now, as a four-year-old or five-year-old, he thinks, like, how could you 
throw away my greatest treasure in the world. As parents, we understand that it's, it's actually a very small thing, but it's a very big thing to him. And we found that when we've reached the end, <laughs> when, when this is not connecting, that that connects. And sometimes God makes a point because we don't take sin seriously enough. And that's what he does in this story. And, and it is shocking. And it is strong. But God is making a point. And if you've been a Christian very long, you've seen a sudden disaster like this. You've seen a shocking fall, haven't you? Oftentimes it happens among pastors or, or church leaders. And something that was hidden in the dark for a long time comes out, and it's big, and it's ugly, and it's tragic. But God, in his grace at that moment, is trying to get all of our attention. That our sin is not a game. It's not something to be played with. God knows the whole story. But the last thing we see in this story is that there's always hope. The rest of the chapter goes on to share how God identified Achan personally. I wonder what that lineup was like as it got down, 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 and God said, it's you. Joshua looks at Achan in verse 19 and says, My son, give glory to the God of Israel. Give praise to him and tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Achan answers Joshua, Truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. He explains it. He coveted. He desired the gold and the silver and a beautiful garment. He hid them in his tent. And Joshua follows through on what God had commanded him to do. And by the way, Joshua doesn't do it on his own. This is actually something they all do together. I'm humbled when I think of the story of Achan because I can imagine myself being inside Jericho after 40 years of poverty and wandering in the wilderness, right? Imagine going to a place of extravagance and wealth and having, having free access to it. Would you be tempted? I would be. But God gives a path forward. He restores us when sin is addressed as, as he says it should be. Listen, we must remember that nothing is hidden from God's sight. Hebrews 4.13 says, Everything is naked and open before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We, we foolishly think that we hide stuff from God. My dad jokingly says that um, there are two situations under which uh, food has no calories. And, and, and what he says is food has no calories if someone gives it to you. Because it would be rude to say no right? You could be on like the greatest diet ever, but if someone offers you a donut, you should be kind to them. He says, so if someone offers it to you, it has no calories. And then the other thing he says is it has no calories if no one sees you eat it, right? <laughs> and he's obviously wrong. <laughs> I'm proof that he's wrong. I've been kind to so many people. And no. But sometimes in our, in our naiveness, we think God doesn't see. We think somehow he doesn't know but he does. You know, if you're sitting here today and there's something going on in your life that you think nobody knows, so it doesn't affect anybody else, and nobody will ever find out, can I just beg you to do what Achan didn't do and bring it to God yourself? To humble your heart? To own it? The Bible says that when, when we don't cover our sin but we confess it to God, he shows us mercy. He's always there to forgive. Sometimes as people, we hold out on people, but God's always there to forgive. 1 John 1, 9 tells us that. Psalm 32, verse 5. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and he forgives my guilt. And God prescribes the appropriate consequences. I, I'm, I'm really hit by what Joshua says in verse 25. After, after hearing the story 
of Achan and what he had done. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. Do you know what? Sometimes as a church, and we may like this or we may not like this personally, God calls us to deal with our own sin. And if we have someone in our church family who continues down a path of sin and refuses to respond when they're talked to about it, then we have a responsibility as a church to confront that sin publicly and, and, to, and to move them out of our church family until they come back to repentance, until they come back to humbling themselves before God. And that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. But do you notice what Jesus told us we're supposed to do? Matthew 18 talks about that really clearly. 1 Corinthians 5 tells a story like that. And why do we do that? Because you know who we fear ultimately? We don't fear one another. We live together in the fear of God. And that means that we take offenses against him, whether they're in our own lives or in other people's lives, seriously. God restores. I actually thought of Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, when I was thinking about this story this week. Galatians 3, 13 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that's most of us, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. You know, we are not that different from Achan, any one of us. We started this chapter, chapter seven, with but this is what the people of Israel did. And when we think about ourselves and how much like Achan we are, the, the glorious truth is, but God, who is rich in mercy, sent his son. That, that Jesus took the curse that we all deserved. And it's a sobering thought what happens in this chapter, but it's a good reminder that there's always hope. Not only is the sin addressed, but the self-reliance is abandoned. Look at the beginning of chapter 8. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear, do not be discouraged. Take all the fighting men with you and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai as its king, and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves if only Achan had waited. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. And God puts together his plan. And guess what? It works. In so many ways, Chapter 8 is the sunrise in this story. See, this is one of those stories that ought to stop us and make us think, shouldn't it? But there's actually, there's actually really great hope at the end of it. If you read the rest of chapter 8, God has a much better plan than Joshua does. Surprise, surprise. And, uh, and it works to perfection. And, and the Israelites conquer the second city in the valley that they're headed into. But it's because they follow God's plan. And chapter 8 is the, the restoring of hope. This is a picture of a fall sunrise. How many of you are excited about fall? Dude, I am. Oh my goodness. I woke up and I was like, long sleeve today. Yeah. Maybe I can wear sweaters soon. Those are kind to my build. Awesome. <laughs> Sweater weather, baby. This is a beautiful picture. It's by a local photographer named James Udall. I actually emailed him yesterday and said, hey, I'd love to use one of your photos in our service today. Would you give permission for, for me to do that? He's like, that sounds great. We'd love for you to do that. You have my permission. So it's beautiful photography all around the valley. So if you're looking for something, uh, man, he's done some great work. But this is a sunrise. You know the beauty of God's character? God doesn't gloss over our sin. 
God doesn't leave us alone when we're relying on ourselves. But you know what he offers us? Forgiveness and hope. You know what he says? Trust in me. Come back here. Trust in me. Come back here. That was wrong. Let's deal with it. Let's address it. Let's move forward. The most foolish thing we can do is continue to live in our own self-reliance and to continue to live in our sin and not think that it matters. And, and Joshua chapter 7 is a great warning for us. Turn your Bibles to James chapter 4. We'll end here. James chapter 4. I love how James chapter 4 verse 6 starts. It's actually after a little section about how much we live in conflict and resist God. But James chapter 4 verse 6 says this, But God gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. I wonder where you are this morning. Have you ever come to the place personally where you admitted you were a sinner? That you needed Jesus to be the substitute for your sin? That you needed to abandon your trust in yourself and put your faith fully on Jesus? Have you ever come to that place? If you have, I have a second question for you. Are you addressing the sin in your own life? Or are you letting it hang around, covering it up? Are you getting it on the table? James 5 says that we should confess our faults one to another and pray for one another so that we can be healed. You say, but it's so shameful, I don't want anyone to know. Can I just tell you something? There, there's a number of, of people in this church that I get texts from on a regular basis who share stuff that is shameful because that's what sin is. But do you know what's safe here? This isn't a place where we're gonna, we're gonna tar and feather you. This isn't a place where we're gonna, because we're all sinners and we all rebel against God in ways that are shameful. And we all struggle with some things over and over and over again. But that doesn't make it okay. God wants us to put to death and, and, and pursue a life of following him. So don't cover it up. And don't keep putting your trust in yourself. I'm one of those people. I'm pretty self-confident. It's a bad thing. What do we do with a chapter like we just studied? We address sin in our lives. We abandon self-confidence. And we thank God that a Savior came who took the curse for us. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. These are stories that, that give us pause, but they also cause us to run to Jesus. We're thankful for the clear truth of your word. Lord, I don't know what's currently happening in hearts in this room, but God, I pray that you would uncover our sin, confront it where it is, help us to, to take a moment even now to confess it to you and be forgiven. Lord, would you release us from the trap of our own self-confidence, our own reliance on ourselves, and would you, would you cause us to really live in a place where we are small and you are big, where we must decrease but you must increase, that we would enjoy your grace. Forgive us for our pride, humble us, and make us a humble people before you. God, we want to thank you this morning that you are slow to anger and you abound in steadfast love. You are 
long-suffering, full of mercy. Thank you that you didn't leave the people of Israel in a mess, but you told them what to do next, and as they followed you, you led them on. Please lead us on. We, we confess to you that we often go our own way. We are like sheep who are led astray. We fall to temptation. We, we find pleasure in things that we know don't please you. God, would you make us a holy people set apart for you one degree at a time? And we confess that we often rely on ourselves. How foolish that is, how small we actually are, how impossible it is for us to find our own success without you. Please forgive us. Thank you for Jesus. Without him, we would truly be without hope. We have all broken your laws. We have all sinned against you, but we, we plead the blood of Jesus who died and rose again and took the penalty of sin. But we long for a, a close, personal relationship with you, and we're thankful that there's always hope, there's always grace, there's always mercy from your hand. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.